Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. Pastor Roger, the, the, the songs today, the selection, wow, chain breaker, you may be invited to come back. Uh, wow, I, I just, I'm in awe. And, and again, I'll explain a little bit later what happened to me this week, but uh, we're, we are going to begin with the book of Revelation. This is a very short passage, very short chapter, and we're going to look at it. And then I'm going to share what the Lord has put on my heart, and I believe it's for today. Well, we've already prayed, so let's get started. Are you ready to, to read God's Word today? How many, you, you feel like, you know, have you ever sat down to one of those big turkey dinners at Thanksgiving or Christmas, and when it's all said and done, you're just sitting there going... That's not how God's food is, is it? God's food, it doesn't go, it actually puts life in us. I mean, we, we get energy from it. And if you're not already a student of God's Word, you should be. All right? It's, it's the only way you're going to know what's right, what's wrong, the things that God expects of us, the things that God wants you to do that will bless you. How many like blessings? God likes to bless us. But to get that blessing, we have to honor him with our lives. Amen? Well, let's begin Revelation chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. And I'll be reading from the New Living Testament, unless you see it otherwise up there. Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. As you look at this, I just want you to realize that this is the last big event before Jesus comes back to earth. And in his book, 40 Days Through Revelation, Ron Rhodes said, and I quote, These great and amazing judgments represent the climax of God's holy wrath poured out, excuse me, poured out on God rejecting humankind. Say that with me. God rejecting humankind. God doesn't want to destroy people. But when we've been given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent, and we still reject His love, the blood of Christ, His Son, the cross, all that that means, the forgiveness of sin, when we reject Him for that, He has no other choice but to judge us. And Ron went on to say, it represents a climax of God's holy wrath poured out on God-rejecting humankind, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So those three groups will, will be participants of that last day wrath. Verse 2, I saw before me what seemed to be a glass of sea mixed with fire. Now, again, if you go back to Revelation 4-6, uh, we already talked about this when we started this whole series, but... It's not a literal sea of glass. It's not like water washing up. Because, Well, we know that because of the next verse. It says, and on it stood all the people. So people aren't going to stand on the water, right? Well, unless they're Jesus. We know that this is, it, it looks like glass is what it is. All the people 
that are standing on this had been victorious. Say victorious. Victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. Now what's this talking about? Tribulation times. These are the saints that didn't bow, that didn't do this. When the Antichrist said, kneel to me, they said, "Uh uh-uh, I only kneel to one, and that's Jesus. And most likely they'll lose their heads or something like that. They'll be killed. Well, that's not very good news. Yeah, it is, because they end up in heaven. Sure, they might have to feel the pain of a sword or a bullet, but in a heartbeat, in a second, they're going to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And these people are being honored. In fact, this passage says they were all holding what? Harps that God had given them. Now, I can't imagine what it's going to sound like with all these harps. and, And here's the thing. Quite frankly, have you ever heard a new musician Picture hundreds of thousands of these folks who just all been given a harp. Somehow they're going to be able to play. I cannot believe they're all going to be amateurs when they start. Somehow God's going to put it in them to be able to play that thing beautifully, just like God plays us. Otherwise, that, that, that making a, a never mind anyway. You, you get where I'm going with this. This harp, represents worship. Do you love to worship God? You know, He desires that. Those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. God wants us to worship Him. Everyone that confesses Jesus as Lord, everyone that lives through the tribulation and denies the Antichrist, the beast, the sign, the mark, everyone is going to be given a heart when they get to heaven. Why? Because they were faithful. That's what this whole message is about today. Being faithful. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that. Verse 3. And they were singing the song of Moses. Remember him? Guy that went up on the mountain. God chiseled out the Ten Commandments for him. He brought it back down. He glowed because he was in the presence of God. You know, we're going to (laughs) glow. Can you imagine? Oh, man. I cannot wait. People aren't going to have to wonder, were you with God? Man, you were with God, weren't you? We're all going to have to be wearing sunglasses up there. Great and marvelous are their works, they cried out. The servant of God in the song of the Lamb said, Great and marvelous are your works. O Lord, the Almighty, Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? That's a question. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. The Bible says every knee will bend, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether they want to or not, they're going to be forced to get down on their knees if they haven't done it on their own. And they're going to say it. And for some, it's going to be just before they enter into eternity. 
and are thrown into the pits of hell. That's not good news. But God wants us to know that there's a loving side to him and there's a judging side to him. His righteousness has to judge the things that weren't right. He has to make it right. There has to be balance. And that's what he's doing here. Do you remember how the saints defeat the enemy? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And this is something we've got to grasp today. What separates others is their victorious living. When you look at these saints that God has just honored, He's put harps in their, in their hands, He's doing it because they lived their lives victoriously. And I wasn't, didn't intend to say this now, but let me just plant the seed. Are you living victoriously for Jesus? The song that these saints are singing gives all the credit and all the glory for their victory to Jesus Christ. He's the only one that is worthy to receive it. If you go back into the Old Testament, the Israelites sang a similar song right after being defeated, right after their enemy was defeated, excuse me, the, the, the uh, Egyptians chased them down. They were ready to slay every single one of them. But God had another plan. God delivered them from the clutches of the Pharaoh and his army. You know, God will do the same thing for you. I don't know what you're facing today, but I believe there are people in this room that need to hear this message. You need to acknowledge that great is your Lord. Marvelous are his works. O Lord, God Almighty. The Lord gave all these saints their victory. And you say, well, they died. Yeah, that's the victory. They died in Christ. They didn't die in the world. They didn't die in their sins. They died in victory. And now they're going to live forever and ever and ever. And the Lord's going to acknowledge them forever and ever and ever as being victorious. How many here, you want God to acknowledge you as being victorious? I do. It sure beats the other way. Norm, you loser. I gave you everything you needed and you still failed. Come on. Did you hear that? That wasn't God. That was my flesh saying that. But that's what I hear sometimes. Norm, are you really doing this again? Haven't you put that under the blood enough times, Norm? Living in victory. Verse 5. Bear with me. Then I looked and I saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, was thrown wide open. Wow. I have no idea what this is like, but I see these gigantic doors just... I don't know. Are these the pearl doors? I don't know. Those ones cut out of giant pearls? I have no idea. But something's happening here, folks. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. Now some believe these seven angels are the same seven angels that were watching over the seven churches. Why aren't they still watching over the seven churches? 
because the church is already in heaven. They don't need to be doing that now, so they're, they're being given the seven bowls of wrath to pour out on the earth. Let me finish this up. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chest. Now again, angels symbolize God's holiness. They're His ministering messengers. Everything they do, they do it for God. So of course they're going to be holy, right? Right? Verse 7, Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. Whenever God is present, there is smoke. I don't necessarily understand what that means, but have you ever been in a meeting where the presence of God was there and you, you look up and you, there was actually, I've seen this thin fog come over. It's almost like a mist, if you will, come over the audience. And it's just absolutely amazing. And, and you just feel it. everybody's nerves, the nerve endings are standing at attention. And you know God's there. You ever been there, David? You know what I'm talking about. It, it's just an amazing experience. And hopefully we'll experience that here. It, it's God's glory coming down on the place. And I believe that God wants to do that in our church. But He's asking something of us. Be holy. Be holy, for I am holy. He's asking something of us. We also see here that heaven is going to be shut up until the seven bowls of God's wrath are poured out. So whatever this time period is, toward the end of the tribulation, heaven is going to be shut. That doesn't happen very often, but it's happening here. And as these bowls are poured out, this is the climax to God's anger, as I've said earlier, of God pouring out His wrath upon the God-rejecting people. The ones that are saved, they're not going to experience this. But the ones that have rejected God over and over and over, the ones that have said no to Him, He's been knocking on their door for years and they keep on saying, no, not now, God. Nope, not now, God. Nope, not now, God. God rejecting. That's the end of chapter 15. Why would a loving God be so angry with the people on earth? Is He justified in what He's about to do? I want to look at some of these questions as we proceed today. But I want to add this, and this is where you guys come in. Is the modern church living victoriously for Jesus? Ask that question of yourself. If you're born again, you're part of this. Is the modern church living victoriously for Jesus? 
here's the thing. It, as I studied this out, and I could have easily gone into chapter 16. I could have talked about the, the seven bowls of wrath and what each one represented. And you'll hear about that again on November 4th, I believe, or 5th, whatever that day is. But hear me. The Holy Spirit began to nudge me like he does sometimes, and he said, Norm, I've got something for you. Just, just read chapter 15, stop there, and then I'm going to give you the rest. And I, up until Thursday, I was waiting on the rest. I'm like, okay, Lord, what's the rest? You know, because I don't like to be unprepared if you haven't figured that out. And then Thursday night into Friday morning, he began to speak this into me. He didn't let me down. And what, what follows, hear this, is meant for some, if not all, of us that are in this room today. What hit me as I read chapter 15 was that all believers, say all believers, all believers are expected to live victoriously over sin, even unto death, as the saints in chapter 15 lived. We're not supposed to bend our knee to any other God or any other sin. And I'm talking about a lifestyle here. A lifestyle of worshiping God or a lifestyle of living in sin. God has given us everything we need to live victoriously. From His forgiveness of sin through His own blood, while He allowed those Roman soldiers to hang Him on that cross, through His death and His resurrection, you and I are given life. Can I get a good amen? So he has purchased for us eternal life. But it didn't stop there. Then he said, now, all you guys go up into the upper room and you wait. Wait for what? Wait for the power that I'm going to give you through the Holy Spirit. And he, he will, he will judge you. He will convict you of sin if you're living in a sinful lifestyle. But he'll also counsel you. And he'll be right there with you as you go through all this stuff you're going to face in this life. How many have had a hard life? If you were a believer, were you alone? God was with you. I still marvel at how people go through all the traumatic things they face, all the trials, the tribulations, without Jesus. Because I wouldn't be able to do it now that I know what it's like to live for God. Can I get a good amen? Because of everything God has given us through His Son, through the Holy Spirit, and His power, we are all without excuse when it comes to living for or not living for the Lord. Poke your neighbor and say, without excuse. This is especially true, folks, for those who call themselves Christian. And I hope you do. I want to read from a chapter, not the whole chapter. I want to read from a chapter in Romans that has become very unpopular for obvious reasons. Romans chapter 8, or excuse me, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And following, and the reason that I'm sharing this today 
is because I want you to connect the dots between God's anger and the people that are going to receive it. His judgment being poured out. You ready? But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. Let me put that up behind me. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That's a lot of wickedness. And God is showing his anger against these people. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Before I move on there, I I had this picture of a spider, and we had this conversation earlier about just stepping on any spider because no spider is a good spider. That's not how I feel. That's how some of you have spoken. These are God's creatures, man. Leave them alone. Unless they're climbing on you, then unless they're a tarantula or something. Anyway, but here's the thing. Have you ever seen a spider web? Most of them, especially the garden weaver, orb weaver, whatever it's called, great big bodies, they look ugly. Now, to a spider, they may look cool, but to us, they look downright spooky. (laughs) Easy there. So, in my old neighborhood, we had a whole, this guy's backyard was full of reeds, you know, like the kind in the swamp or the ponds. And these spiders would connect their webs to these different reeds, and they were masterpieces. They were works of art. And I sat there thinking, all right, if they evolved, what came first? Do you realize their webs are stronger than some of our steel cable that we have? If you do it in tensile strength, that little teeny web versus our great big cable that like the Mackinac Bridge holding that thing up. It'd be a lot smaller if we could actually produce the spider web. So how did that spider come up with that idea? You know, I think I'll just go spin me a web out there between these reeds and catch me a butterfly to eat. Really? God created him that way. It ought to be obvious because there's no way that that thing would have had eight legs to climb around like that and spin that cool web in a cool design so we could look at it and go, look what God did. But the sad thing is there are many today that say that's not God. Evolution did that. Well, over billions of years, that spider did that. Really? When did the thread come out of its behind? Did it one day just say, I think I'm going to grow some thread out of my behind today, and and you know what? Then I'll build a beautiful web. Well, brother, it took time, so how did it do it? Explain that to me. Explain that to me. People do not want to admit God is real. Because then they would have to live up to his expectations of them. And they would have to repent of their sinful lifestyle. Here we go. 
21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Luke 19.40, Jesus said, if these people don't worship me, the very stones will cry out. Somebody's going to worship him. Can I get a witness? And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. I just explained some of that foolishness. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. He was raised in Judaism. He was one of their top leaders before God got his number and met him on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, what are you doing to me? Actually, Saul at that time. Then he named him Paul because Saul said, Whoa, Lord, didn't know I was doing that. Sorry. And then he began to serve the Lord, and the Lord taught him through his spirit. These words are from God Himself. Some have tried to discount them. Here we go. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. I don't want this to be a gay-bashing message. But if you have friends, as I do, that are gay, we cannot ignore Scripture. Because if you do, what you're doing is you're saying, it's okay, you know, go on living the way you're living, even though it's going to send them to hell. We need to love these people. Love them enough that they'll listen to the message that God has given us. This is the Bible speaking, not Pastor Norm. I'm sharing God's Word here. Verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. This list is crazy. But this is what happens to a person that rejects God. This kind of lifestyle leads to us being this kind of person. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. 
Listen to this last part. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them as well. We are living in a day. It's not getting any easier to be a Christian. We cannot muzzle the church today. We have to be vocal. We have to share the words of God and hopefully help some to repent of their sinful lifestyles. These people know that God is going to require justice Yet they continue doing these evil things and even lead others along with them into this eternal damnation path. Yeah, they should burn in hell, some of you might be thinking. Why are those wicked evildoers? Others might be saying. But wait. Before you judge, wait. See, most pastors stop right here. I want to jump into chapter 2 real quick. And just a little background. Paul is speaking to the Roman church. These are both Jew and Gentile. They're mixed together, so there's going to be a little bit of cultural friction there, if you will. There might even be some division because they don't see things eye to eye. You kind of read about that as Jesus walked through the streets. He dealt with a lot of the Samaritans, the non-Jews. And these folks had issues with the Jews, and the Jews had issues with them. So that's what the contention is here, and Paul's trying to, to address it. Now, my hunch is, and it's just a hunch, this is some kind of a religious spirit that's, that he's fighting here. And I think you'll agree after I read this. Verse 1. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are what? You are just as bad, and you have no excuse. What's Paul talking about? Is he talking about us judging our brothers and sisters who are living in sin? Not in the church. That first list, chapter one, these are the unchurched, these are the people living in sin. That's God's job to judge them. Our job is to help each other to live for Christ. And if you see a brother or sister stumble, you need to go after them and say, hey, what's up? Is that really the way we're supposed to live? We're supposed to live victoriously for Christ. And if we're not doing that, then I hope that one of our brothers or sisters will grab onto us and say, come on back from the pits of hell. Can't you feel the flames lapping at your feet because you're just about to end up there? And that's not God's plan for us. We need to help each other if we're stumbling. But these people were saying, oh, see, they're going to go to hell when they had sin in their own life. Recognize Paul speaking to the church. You and me, believers, This verse goes on. When you say they are wicked, say they are wicked. See how easy that is? 
they they are wicked. What about me? What about I? When you say they are wicked, and should be punished. You're condemning yourself for you who judge others. Here's the part you got to catch. You who judge others do these very same things. Listen, if you're living your life holy and pleasing to God, you better speak up when others are doing this. But if you're not, you better shut up. That's pretty simple preaching, isn't it? But that's how Paul is. And we know that God, verse 2, in His justice will punish anyone, say that, anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you? Has he been with you? He has been with me. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? We lose this part. God isn't just sitting back because it's okay that you keep on living a sinful lifestyle. He's not okay with it. And he's saying, come out of that lifestyle. My son, my daughter, stop sinning. Get the victory in Jesus. I've given you everything you need to be victorious in this life. But we somehow convince ourselves, well, oh, God, God's okay with it. See, I touched it. See, I touched it. Isn't that what we do? Oh, oh, hey, I touched it. Ooh, see? Still okay. Hasn't smoked me yet. Ooh, hey. Now listen, something happens as you're justifying your sin. Something does happen. You begin to separate and distance yourself from the Lord. But that hard heart won't allow you to see it or feel it because you're right where Satan wants you to be. You're dying. God help me. Don't take his kindness as being acceptance when it comes to a sinful lifestyle. Verse 5. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Again, he is talking to the unchurched here. He's talking to the church. I'm glad you're quiet. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is exactly what we've been hearing in the book of Revelation. The pouring out of God's final judgment, his anger being poured out upon the world because of their God-rejecting attitudes.
my fear is that we become so consumed with what the future generation is going to get that we neglect where we're at right now. Christian, are you living victoriously over sin? Are you? Verse 6. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. What? He will judge everyone what? According to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who... That word keep on is that progressive thing. Over and over and over. That's how you're supposed to live as a Christian. Over and over and over doing the right thing, the good things that God has challenged us to do. Seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. Do you think about how you are living your life at all? Or do you just stumble through this life living for yourself? Because that, I fear, is what a lot of people are doing. Christian, you have to live intentionally if you're going to get the victory over sin. The devil schemes against you and me, according to the Bible. That's what he does. He's a schemer. He comes up with ways to try to destroy you. And if he can't get to you, he'll try to work through people you know. He has so many booby traps for us, I don't even want to begin to try to explain them. You know what I'm talking about. If we aren't living like there's no tomorrow, then we aren't living victoriously. What does that mean? We have such a brief amount of time on this planet, and we need to realize this could be the last day as we know it of this era, this age, this age of grace where God has poured His mercy out. We should be living as such. Trying to reach the lost with our testimony. Not our tainted testimony. Not our sinful lifestyle testimony. But our pure and holy testimony. That place where God's called us and challenged us to live. People are being turned away from God because His people, the Christians, are living immorally. The last couple of verses from this chapter. But He will pour out His anger and wrath on those who live, who? For themselves. Who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lies of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first, also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God doesn't show favoritism. The way you live your life will determine the things that God pours into you, whether good or bad. I hope (laughs) that this message is starting to clang your bell if it hasn't already. 
Do an inventory of your life. Make sure that you're really living for Jesus. That you're not just some kind of pretender giving Him lip service. Well, yes, I'm a Christian, as far as everyone else knows, till I'm in that secret place where nobody sees, God sees. The angels see. The creatures with all the eyes see. Hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying today. Just because you proclaim to be a Christian doesn't mean you're automatically going to heaven. As the old saying goes, you aren't a car just because you're parked in the garage. Some of you husbands are in there because, never mind. Doesn't make you a car though. Well, Brother Noah, I accepted Jesus Christ when I was 15 years old. I'm born again. Awesome. That's good news. Are you living for Him though? Since you became born again. See, there should be a change in you. A change for the good, not for the bad. The things you do should show the world God is a good God. Have you been living victoriously for Jesus? Paul said that God will reward those who keep on doing good, who seek after the glory and honor and immortality that He offers us. So God expects us to go after Him. God expects us to do the good things. And when we do, He loves calling us His children. His faithful children. And He will bless us. How are you going to respond when you're standing face to face with Jesus? Will you be able to say without reservation, Master, I did my very best. I gave it all I had. To you be the glory. And will you hear those famous words, well done. Think about this. God is going to pour out His wrath on the people of this earth. Do you think He's being fair? Do you think God is being fair? I just read these two parts of chapter 1 and 2 in Romans. According to the Apostle Paul, Romans chapters 1 and 2, do you think God's being fair? Why am I asking this? Why does it matter? Because if you don't think God's being fair when He judges the earth, then you're going to come up with all kinds of reasons not to obey. If you can't grasp this simple truth that God is judging fairly, then it's going to be hard for you to live for Him because you're already suspect of the Lord. I believe, according to Romans 1 and 2, that both the sinner and the saved have had enough time to repent. How's the church doing, do you think? Are we any different in the world than the unchurched, than the sinners? Are we living victoriously over sin, or does it have hold of us? 
Jesus died to save us. But more than that, we are His living testimonies of His power and of His glory. And if we're not living accordingly, then what's it saying to the world? We defeat the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And if our testimony stinks, what's it saying to the world? Did God do enough? Are we all without excuse? You need to come to grips with this. I believe He has. He did. And then the question is, if He did, if He's given us everything we need to overcome sin, why aren't we living victoriously? Why are you still struggling with the same sins you were struggling with when you first repented and called upon the name of Jesus Christ? Why? Why? If you're one of those that would say, yes, I'm born again, but you're not living victoriously over sin, then hear me, you need to read and reread Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Over and over and over till your spirit connects with this. God isn't saying this to us today because He hates our guts. He's saying it because He loves us and He's trying to get us to see that if we give this to Him and lay it down and get the victory over it, then we'll begin living righteously. Then we'll be in that blessing place. Then people will look at us and go, hey, I want what you have. Graham Cook has a blog that he calls Brilliant Perspectives. And he had some great advice when it came to sin. As he puts it, there are two battles that take place that we humans have to deal with. Two battles, two things we have to fight for. The first one's pretty easy, getting free. It's the second one that trips people up. How many have said yes to Jesus? Raise your hand. Most of our hands going up. But if I were to say, how's that staying free going? Many of you wouldn't be able to raise your hand. Can I get a good amen? amen? All of us have known people who won the first battle, but have lost the second, Graham said. It's not enough to take our internal territory with Jesus. We need to know how to hold the ground we take to come into a lifestyle of freedom. I love that. A lifestyle of freedom? Say that with me. A lifestyle of freedom. This is what God wants for you and me. He wants us to be living a lifestyle of freedom. Not a sinful lifestyle, but a lifestyle of freedom. Are you living a lifestyle of freedom or a lifestyle of sin? Let me ask you this. Do you believe this? Ready? Ready? John 8, 36, New King James says, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. 
Let's, let's stop here just for a minute. Do you believe this? How many say, yes, Pastor Norm, I believe this? Then does your life show that? Does your life show that? Does your life prove it? If somebody watches you for a day or a week or a month or a year, would they come away going, yes, they've been set free. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Or will they say, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Hear this. This message isn't intended to condemn anybody here today. But I want each of you to do a reality check and recognize that if you are still struggling with a sinful lifestyle, you haven't been set free yet. If you believe that Jesus Christ has given us everything that we need to overcome, whether it's sexual sin, lying, greed, anger, addiction, whatever it might be, then we should be living free. But what I often see in the church are people who try to look like they have the second part of the victory, but they're just pretending to be free. And that's why I feel the Lord put this message on my heart today was because too many are here where I'm talking about. That's why I feel this urgency to say too many of us are bound up and Jesus wants you to be free. Once and for all, free. Graham Cook said this, it's not enough to merely get free. For it to become our lifestyle, we must learn how to maintain the freedoms that we come into. What does that mean, maintain the freedoms we come into? I believe that what it means is you have to work at it. It has to be intentional. You have to live an intentional lifestyle. Yes, I'm born again. Yes, my, my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, but... I can't take that for granted because every morning I get up, the devil's scheming to destroy me. He wants as many of us to go to hell with him as he can get, as he can drag along. And I've got to be aware of that, not just for me, but also for my family, for my children, my grandchildren. Satan wants us dead. And I cannot go through a day-to-day situation that I'm facing and not say, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, give me everything I need to see the tactics of the devil today. Give me discernment to know who my friends are and who my enemies are. And help me to pray for my enemies and love my friends. We're supposed to love our enemies too, but it's a lot easier to love your friends. Do you think Christianity is easy? I know it's not. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, you can enter God's kingdom only through the what? Narrow gate. The highway to hell is, and its gate is, for the many who choose that way, for there are, for the many, who, excuse me, the gate is broad for those who choose that way. Get that part. 
This isn't God doing this. The people are choosing that way. Verse 14, but the gateway to life is very narrow. And the what? The road is what? Say it again. One more time. The road is difficult and what? (laughs) I wish it weren't true. Do you think Jesus knew? People would rather live for themselves, live in their sinful lifestyles, and go to hell rather than do what God has called them to do, commanded them to do, and live for him the rest of their remaining days on this earth, and therefore only a few will find it, the way to heaven. Narrow gate, difficult road. Only a few find it. Our destination is heaven. The journey is not easy. We need all of God's help that we can get. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus because that's Satan's biggest tactic is to get our eyes off of Jesus. I love this verse. Hebrews 12.2 from the message. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. Now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. If Jesus had to do it, we have to do it. Keep our eyes on Him. What does that mean? It means that you have to be convinced of where your strength comes from. Loving God means keeping His commandments and His commandments that are not burdensome. Listen to this. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory, how? Through our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. We have to use our faith eye to realize God's going to get us through this, whatever it might be. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. When He is your Master, when Jesus Christ is Lord over you, you can get this victory. But it's the only way. There's no other way. Hallelujah. We achieve the victory through faith. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Are you free? Would you stand with me? You may need to be free from an addiction, smoking, drinking, drugs, whatever. You may need to be free from anger, from pornography, from drinking, from extracurricular activities, if you know what I'm saying. 
Hear me, there are no ifs, ands, or buts in this statement. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But what do many of us do? We start confessing our weaknesses. Well, you know, brother, I've been struggling with this my whole life. Is that what Jesus said? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, unless you've been struggling with it your whole life? We need to immerse ourselves in God's Word. These are some of my favorites. <laughs> Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Read these with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8.37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 1 John 4.4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the people of the world, because He who is in you is greater than He who is in this world. And of course, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Man, we got to get these words in our spirit. And when the devil starts, and he will, when he starts to whisper, ah, did God really deliver you from that? Just like he did with Eve. Did God really say that? Yes, he did. Listen, I don't care if you've got to say it. 200 times or 2,000 times a day, you need to start saying it. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If the Son set me free, I am free indeed. You say it over and over and over until you've got the victory. Because we're supposed to, we are challenged to, we are expected to live victoriously over sin. And if we're not, then we're not there yet. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.